All right, good morning, everyone. All right, great to have you here with us this morning. Um, just if you're visiting with us, we want to welcome you. And uh, we have a, just a connection desk out front. If you'd like to share any information with us, if you're comfortable doing that, there's a place for you to do that and to invite contact from the pastoral team if you would like that, okay? Otherwise, we're just grateful you're here and trust that our uh, season of worship together will be an encouragement to your heart. There's a verse I read in my uh, Bible reading time this morning from Proverbs. I want to read this to you and use it as a m- means by which we move into our season of prayer this morning. It's Proverbs 21:31. It says, the horse is prepared for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. Okay, the horse is prepared for the day of battle, meaning we do what we can do, right, as responsible individuals, but we understand that the victory belongs to the Lord. And that's that, that, that balance that we live in, right? Where we, we need to be preparing and uh, doing, doing life with diligence. But at the end of the day, we know that the outcomes of what we're facing are ultimately in God's hands. So maybe you're here this morning and you've been doing battle, okay? Uh, you're working through a situation. Maybe it's a physical struggle. Maybe it, it's a medical issue that you're dealing with or a relationship struggle or a difficulty in the workplace or trying to work through with your finances. And you kind of come this morning a little anxious and a little stressed. Okay? We get it. Okay? We get it. We do the part we can do. We prepare the horse for battle, but the victory is in God's hands. And so as we sing this morning, and as, we, as I lead us in prayer, I trust that your heart will be this. God, I've done everything I can do with the resources you've given me. The outcome is in your hands. Okay? Why don't you stand together with me for prayer this morning? So, Father, as we come into your presence this morning, we, we confess that we ought to do our part. We prepare for life and the struggles of it and the good times of it. But we realize that the outcomes of our effort are nothing apart from you. Lord, the old hymn that we sing, all is vain unless the spirit of the Holy One comes down. And Lord, we confess that this morning. Our singing is empty apart from the filling of your spirit and enabling and empowering. So we pray that you will... Enable us to sing today to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in our hearts to the Lord. And God, I pray that our singing would be a blessing to everyone around us, in spite of whether it's on key or not. That proclamation of truth would hit the mark today. As we've come, God, you know each person in this room. You know every need, every struggle, every burden. The things that are shared and those that are more private in nature. God, you know every one. And so minister to our hearts as we sing. And then as Pastor James brings your truth, let it minister to our hearts. We trust you for victory, Lord. Not ourselves. Not ourselves. We pray today, Lord, for the Karenet Center in Hackettstown and the beautiful ministry that you've blessed them with in the saving of lives. We pray your protection over them and effectiveness in service as they prepare and then trust you for victories. 
We pray for the Walter Huffing home and the ladies that uh, come into that, uh, that property location, the various buildings that are there and the new work that's been done. And we pray, God, that all of the effort that is put forth would find victory ultimately in your hand. And so we commit that ministry to you as well. And we thank you for the privilege that we have to support both of those ministries. Uh, Lord, for those in our church that have been battling with sickness and at various levels, for Ray Hop and Kathy's husband, God, we, we know that he's home and that he's got this, uh, this, this uh, vest that helps his heart stay stable. And as he waits and plans for surgery, we pray favor on him and strength on Kathy, a dear friend of ours. We pray that you will sustain her. For Marty Nyland, uh, for Diana Kelly, uh, for Gary Hoyt, uh, and, and numerous others, Lord, that we lift up before you on a regular basis. We do our part, and we know the victory is yours. So God, as we sing, remind us of who you are, our victorious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We praise you. We bless you. Let us worship you well this morning, I pray, in your glorious and saving name. And all God's people said, amen. Let's worship him together. Good morning, everybody. Let's sing, I'll bless your name. I'll bless your name, oh God, each day that I awake. From dawn to setting sun, your greatness I'll proclaim. Your glory far exceeds all human thoughts. So with each breath, I'll bless your name, oh God. Your name. strong and mighty deeds are always near. Oh God, most high your name will be revealed. How great, how great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. How great is the Lord our God. And how When we call, when we call out to you, you hear our cries, and all our needs, your gracious hand provides. How great, how great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. Forever without end. Forever. 
creation will rejoice when works of wicked men you finally destroy your power your power will proclaim till Christ descends and you will reign forever without end and how great is the
A couple songs we're going to sing. The next one is, I think, certainly familiar to uh, many of you, which is uh, Come Thou Fount. But you know, there's a line in this song that always trips people up, which is this reference to Ebenezer. You know, here I raise my Ebenezer. And I'm sure for most of you, when you think of Ebenezer, you think of Ebenezer Scrooge, right? Yeah. Um, that's what I think about during this song. So let's try and banish that and try to <laughs> pull in the real meaning here. Uh, you know, Ebenezer, it's an Old Testament Hebrew term that means, you know, my stone of help is what it's referring to. And I'm sure many of you uh, know that. Really, what, without getting into the full story, really what it means is a, I raise this stone of like as a reminder of God's faithfulness to us. And especially in terms of the Israelites, the unworthiness of that favor that God has given to us. So it's like a reminder of, God, your promise, even though I don't deserve... <laughs> I don't deserve your grace and your care. I'm reminding you of the promise that you have made to us. And as Christians, in light of, of Jesus on the other side, that's certainly also true that we can, in theory, raise our Ebenezer as a, your, your faithfulness. This is a reminder, God. Not that he's reminding, but it's almost like a reminder to us as well that like, oh yeah, God has been faithful. <laughs> oh yeah, such a simple phrase I just said there. Oh yeah, you've been faithful to us all this time, God. Like you have been faithful, you are faithful, and you will be faithful. And you know, to tie it back to Ebenezer Scrooge, it's funny that his name, you know, means that stone of help, but you have that term Scrooge. And yet, isn't it true in that A Christmas Carol story that he is redeemed, that Ebenezer himself in the end is absolutely undeserving of any kind of grace in his life. And yet through those ghosts that, you know, that approach him, those four, um, uh, three ghosts from past, present, and future, he is redeemed. So his name, it does make sense, you know? We think of it as a dark idea, but it certainly means that idea of the unworthy that are redeemed. The next two songs talk of that concept, but also looking to the past, to the Old Testament, and looking at the saints who've come before us, and going, God has been faithful in that, so he will also be faithful to me as well. Let's keep worshiping.
Above 
calling on the God of Jacob. I'm calling on the God of Jacob, whose love endures through generations. I know that you will keep your covenant. I'm calling on the God of Moses, the one who opened up the ocean. I need you now to do the same thing for me. Yes, for me. Oh God, my God, I need you. Oh God, my God, I need you now. And how I need you now. Oh rock, oh rock of ages, I'm standing on your faithfulness. On your faithfulness. Calling on. I'm calling on the God of Mary, whose favor rests upon the lowly. I know with you all things are possible. I'm calling on the you heard your children then you heard your children then you hear your children now you are the same God you are the same God you answered prayers back then and you will answer now you are the same God you are the same God. You were providing then. You are providing now. You are the same God. You are the same God. You moved in power then. God. 
You're the same God. You're the same. It's who we worship this morning. You never change. You never change, Lord. We can trust you, Lord. You freed the captives then. You freed the captives then. You're freeing hearts right now. You are the same God. You are the same God. You touched the lepers then. I feel your touch right now. You are the same God. You are the same God. Yes, forever. Never change, Lord. We can rely on you, the rock of ages. Standing firm. Calling on the Holy Spirit, Almighty River, come and fill me again. Come and fill me again. Come and fill us. Come and fill us. Yes, Lord, this morning, what more can we say than what these songs have said? God, we need you. Oh, rock of ages, the only thing that is anything we can hope in in this world, we can't hope in ourselves and others. We all know that. We can only trust in you, Lord. We thank you that we can call to you, that we can raise our Ebenezer, the stone of help, the reminder, Lord. You have been faithful throughout generations. We've seen that in our own lives. We can look back to the past, we can look to the present and see that you are faithful to us, but we can look to the far past. People just like us, but living in a different world, and you are faithful to them. God, be faithful to us this morning as we hear from your word. Be faithful to Pastor James. The years of study and effort he's put into these things, God, may they come out this morning, and may we be impacted and changed by what he has to bring from Proverbs today. We thank you for this time of worship, God. Continue to help us to worship as we hear your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Yeah, really. I like that song. <laughs> uh, children, you could be dismissed for junior church. And for the rest of you, would you turn in your Bibles with me to uh, Proverbs chapter 1? And we're going to be looking at verse 5. Proverbs 1, and we're going to look at verse 5 to start off. We're going to be in a number of sections this morning, and I had hoped to print some stuff off for you, and it just didn't happen, so I'll probably email it out to you. So don't go crazy with all the verses that we will go through today. I, I, I was thinking about this, that uh, we are living in really chaotic and confusing times uh, today. And 
if I pulled the stats out for those that struggle with anxiety and fear and stress, it would be overwhelming. And as you look at the anger, you don't have to turn on the TV very long and you'll see the anger and the struggles uh, that are out there, the critical nature and the things that are dividing us. Um, the divorce rate goes up, the suicide rate goes up, and there are great challenges that are happening in our society today. Martin Lloyd-Jones has this quote, it's a little long, so stay with me, about emotions and feelings. And I think it's really a helpful quote. It says this, I regard it as part of my great calling in this ministry to emphasize the priority of the mind and the intellect in connection with faith. But though I maintain that, I am equally ready to assert that feelings and emotions and the sensibilities obviously are of vital importance. We've been made in such a way that they play a dominant part of our makeup. Indeed, I suppose that one of the greatest problems in our life in this world, not only for Christians, but for all people, is the right handling of our feelings and our emotions. Oh, the havoc that is wrought, and the tragedy, and the misery, and the wretchedness are to be found in this world simply because people do not know how to handle their own feelings. Man is so constituted that feelings are in this very prominent position, and indeed, there is a very good case for saying that perhaps the final thing which regeneration that's being born again, and the new birth does for us is to put the mind and the emotions and the will in the right positions. You know, as Martin Lloyd-Jones, he was a pastor uh, in the 1900s, powerful pastor. He was, a, he was a medical doctor, and then he went into the ministry, and he ministered for years and years in England. And as he's talking, he's looking at the clients, the patients that he worked with that had, had physiological issues. And they looked at the emotional things that people had and the spiritual things that he had. And he said that I am here to preach and teach to a mind and I'm here to preach and teach to an intellect. But I also need to recognize that there are emotions that are here and that are at life. So I want you to think about that today because as you, say, as you hear him say... Part of the great problem is that they do not know how to handle their emotions well. I want you to think of someone, not a real person, it's a uh, grouping of people, Sally. Sally uh, grew up in a home that was condemning and critical. And her parents were somewhat controlling. It was an emotionally unstable home, and it was also a home where there was a lot of emotional dependency. One parent was constantly parentifying Sally and making Sally the parent and was constantly going to her for help. And then the other parent was finding themselves distant and un unreliable and unstable. And as Sally was growing up in this home, whenever emotions were brought up, they were tamped down immediately. You were not allowed to show emotions. 
So Sally never learned the model, how to model through emotions. She never learned how to work through the habits of emotion. She never learned the patterns of dealing with emotion. She didn't learn how to communicate and identify her emotions well. And she did not learn how to resolve conflict well. Because whenever conflict would come up in her home, it was yelled at, pushed down, diminished, devalued. So Sally came out of that home with a lot of fear and anxiety, and she came out of that home with a lot of worry. She was constantly worried about how other, person, other people saw her. She was constantly worried about people rejecting her and leaving her, and she had great levels of anxiety, sometimes panic that would come out of nowhere, and she worried a great deal. Sally not only saw the fear and the anxiety and the worry in her life, but then she found herself dominated with anger. Because oftentimes when people struggle with fear and anxiety and worry, what they worry about is they think it's the external things that are causing the struggles that they have. So what they try to do is to try to control the environment. So Sally became a controlling and critical person. And she found herself getting more angry time after time. She blamed others for the way she was. That led to levels of pride in her life. She was constantly looking at what other people were doing to her and seeing them as the oppressor, failing to see what she was doing in her own life. And because of that fear and that anxiety and that worry and because of that control and that anger, that led to great pride in her life. That pride was elevating more and more. She couldn't see herself very clearly. And she struggled with being humble, ever admitting that she was wrong. Even when she knew it, she really struggled with it. But the problem is, is that she was constantly looking back at what other people had done to her. Unforgiveness and bitterness were just raging in her life. And it was dominating her. Like a malignancy that was constantly growing in her life, unforgiveness and bitterness were having a major impact on her relationships. The Holy Spirit was nudging her time after time. And she felt guilt. She, she heard the pang. She would hear a preacher teach or she would do a Bible study. She felt guilt and condemnation at times. But then what she tried to do was to settle it herself. She tried to find ways to fix those condemning thoughts, and those guilt-ridden thoughts. And Sally found herself depressed. Now, I don't know if that sounds like you. That sounds like a lot of people that I've worked with over the years. And these patterns that are there, the habits that are there, are modeled. Modeled from our past, but then influenced by our own sinful nature, and they play a major role. You know, communication, emotions are interesting because emotions, there's these misconceptions about emotions. And over the next couple of weeks, I hope we're going to tackle some of them. Some people believe that emotions are all bad and that they should be suppressed. Maybe you've gone to churches or heard people that talk about that. Maybe you grew up in a home that said that. Anytime your emotions are there, you need to push those emotions down. They are bad. They're terrible. You should never deal with emotions. And some of the Stoics used to believe that. Plato and Aristotle, those were some of the people that would believe those type of things. And they would actually say that emotions are moral and therefore they are evil and they are bad. That's bad counsel. There are some that will believe that emotions are irrelevant and unnecessary. There is no big deal, and there's no real sense of emotions. In fact, it's kind of like your spleen. You don't need it, you don't need emotions in life. But there are others that will tell you that emotions are so powerful that they govern your life and that they control your life. 
Maybe you've ever said this, I know I have, and I've heard it countless times. I wish I had a dime for every time people have said this. I can't help the way I feel. Have you ever said that? I can't help it. And what's underneath the surface of that is this. You're the reason why I'm feeling the way that I'm feeling. Somebody else is at fault. Another circumstance or another person is at fault for the way I feel. And therefore, it's this power that I can't help. I am at bay to the emotions that are happening within me. It's a lie. So some will tell you that emotions are always bad. That's a lie. Some will tell you that emotions are irrelevant. That's a lie. Some will tell you that emotions are so powerful and govern you and control you that you can't help yourself. That's a lie. One more. Emotions are the most important thing about us. I think that's what's happening in our culture today, especially in the Christian church. The emotions are the most important thing ever. That your emotions are truth. And so now what we have is we have experienced junkies. We have people that are driven by emotionalism. I didn't feel led to do something or I feel led to do something and their feelings now dictate what truth is. It's a lie. So I can tell you that emotions are not sinful. God experiences emotions. Now, God experiences emotions differently than we do. He is not under emotions. Our emotions do not rule him. Yet he expresses himself through emotions. And you could probably think of a lot. God loves his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And anyone who is connected to him, if you are connected to the Lord Jesus Christ, he loves you with an infinite love. God delights in justice and righteousness. You know, we hear justice today and injustice and all the anger that is there. God hates injustice and he loves righteousness. That's comforting, but it can also be pretty scary because if God is a just God, he looks at the sin in my own life and in yours. And how does he deal with that? God rejoices over his people. You know, in Zephaniah, it actually says that as a bride comes down the aisle to the groom and the groom's faith is, face is lighting up as that bride comes down and says, wow, she's beautiful. That's the way God looks at his children. He feels about you. God says he experiences grief and sorrow over sin in this world. God experiences anger and wrath and detesting. He detests evil. But God is compassionate and loving. That's him. So I want you to hear today is this, that we live in a world that is dominated, maybe preoccupied with emotions, that emotions are leading us down a path at times that is wrong, that emotions in and of themselves are not wrong, but they can be mastered by the work of the Spirit in your life, by leading it according to the Word. And that emotions, as God has displayed, are wonderful opportunities to connect us with one another, connect us with Him, and to help us to see the evil that is in this world. That's why Proverbs 1.5 is so important to me. It says this, let the wise hear and increase in learning and the one who understands obtain guidance. Wise, 
You know the book of Proverbs is about foolishness and wisdom, and we'll talk a little bit about that this morning. So a wise person hears and increases in their learning, and the one who understands, it's not just knowledge, it's not just gaining more information and understanding, it's actually applying that in our lives. You understand it, and you obtain guidance. The Holy Spirit, the, sec the third person of the Trinity, wants to come into your life through this word and take you on a path towards freedom. You don't have to be mastered by your emotions, but you don't have to be afraid of them either. Let them be used by God as an instrument in his hands to minister to others, to minister to you, and to lead you in a path that's going to honor him. Would you pray with me? So Lord, this morning, as we, as we uh, talk, as we as I preach, one, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart will be pleasing to you. I pray that if what I say is true, that the congregation will know that that's coming from you, not from me. I pray that they wouldn't be looking at a human vessel, but I pray that they'd be looking at the divine one, you, the Father, your Son, and your Spirit. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the fact that we're created in your image. I thank you for the fact that you show emotions. And I thank you that your son has modeled for us how we can take um, and manage those emotions in God-honoring ways, even in the midst of the chaos and the confusion of this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, five things I want to hit this morning. They won't be too long, hopefully not. First, we want to give some clarity to emotions. So I want to help you to have some understanding of emotions. I'm just going to give you some principles to follow. Clarity. Second, we're going to talk about that you could be capsized by your emotions. You could find your emotions overwhelming you and taking you out of control. So we'll talk about that. The third thing is that I want to give you a simple principle, a simple four principles about how you can control and master your emotions. And then we'll end by talking about how we can conquer ungodly emotions and cultivate godly ones. So let's start with clarity. Uh, one of the things that makes emotions very difficult is that emotions are not only physical, they're not only emotional, but they're mental and spiritual. They have a component. All four of those components play a role. There's a physiological thing that happens, and you probably feel it when you go through your chaotic and confused times, and when you find yourself feeling fearful or angry or depressed, you feel it in your body. Uh, for me, I have a bad neck, a bad stomach, and a bad back. So as soon as I start to feel it. I feel it in those areas. Bang, trigger, right? I don't know where it is for you, but you probably feel it in your life. So there's a physical thing. Then there's the emotions that are there that are behind your feelings. But then there's a mental mindset, a mindset that is driving. And then, of course, there's a spiritual component, whether I am elevating myself or elevating God. I want you to hear some basic principles, and I want to give you some passages of scripture that I hope will back this up. The first thing I want you to understand about emotions is that emotions are built into all people in all cultures in all times. Every single person in this world are emotional beings. Now we may express it differently on the surface, but all of us are emotional beings. And we're hardwired. It's hardwired into our brains. It's hardwired into our bodies. It's hardwired into our lives. There's a hormonal and neuro neurological things that happen. God designed us at creation 
at birth, I mean, at creation, to have emotions. Every single one of us do. Now, we express them in different ways. And what's also amazing about this is that he built emotions into all people, but then in Psalm 32, verse 11, he said, Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. God is commanding you to experience and to express emotions. So it's not only that it's been hardwired into you, but God is commanding you to use those emotions in God-honoring ways. So that's the first thing I want you to think about. The second thing I want you to think about is this. Emotions are complex, and they involve your whole being. It's, as I said, it's not just your feelings. It's God designed you to be triggered by certain things in perception. He designed you to be uh, influencing by values and beliefs and thoughts that you have. He designed you with neurological and hormonal and muscular and respiratory and cardiovascular things. He designed you even with the facial features that you have. He designed you that way. And that's why all of us will see that emotions, very honestly, are complex. The Latin word for emotion is to move. I actually wanted to put a, a sailboat up on the screen to get you the idea. So maybe you can pick the, picture this in your mind, a sailboat that is drawn along by the powerful wind. Now a good salesman or whatever, I don't even know what you would call it. I can't swim, so I don't boat. But a person who is a good boatsman is able to take that wind and to interpret the wind and put the sail in the right place and direct that boat in a right direction. He reads the wind or she reads the wind, puts the sail in a direction and then moves them in a right direction. Well, I want you to think about this. In essence, you could do the same thing. The power of your emotions. If you learn to direct yourself, you could direct yourself into chaos and confusion or you can direct yourself into safety and peace. You choose. So emotions are complex. Back in uh, the fourth chapter, God had said to Cain, Cain, why are you so angry? Why are you so downcast? Don't you know that if you do what is right, I will lift you up? But if you don't, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to master you. You must, what, rule over it. Take the wind and get your sail going in the right direction, Cain. And Cain didn't do that. And he killed his brother. Fourth thing I want you to consider is this. Emotions drive some of our most noble and constructive things. I want you to think about the most positive emotions, love and joy and delight and kindness and all of these things. And I want you to think about ways that you've used those emotions to comfort and to serve one another. The Lord Jesus Christ was moved with pity. He saw those that were hurting and in need and he touched them. We just actually sang that. The leper. He saw the leper and he touched the leper. He was moved with compassion. He was moved with compassion to leave heaven and come here to earth so that you could be born again. He was moved and those emotions moved him. It can move us to constructive things, but emotions also can drive some of the most, most regrettable things that we have in life. 
In Genesis chapter 37, verse 11, Joseph's brothers were jealous of him. And they were moved in their anger to sell him into slavery. Or in Acts chapter 7, verse 54, Stephen was preaching good news. And the people were so enraged at him that they picked up stones and they were throwing them at him, trying to kill him. And they did. So emotions can drive some of the greatest things that we could ever do, but emotions can also drive some of the most regrettable and destructive things. Emotions in and of themselves are not sinful, but emotions can be twisted and tainted by sin. Theologians call this the noetic effects of sin. The noetic effects mean that it is, it affects the way you think. Emotions affect the way you think and what you believe, and therefore then it affects the way you feel, and it affects the way you speak and the way you act. And so if you cannot get your emotions under control, your emotions will ultimately control you. Maybe you have found yourself strong emotions triggered by this impulsive reaction, and you quickly act out, and then all of a sudden you said something or you did something, and then you, then you regret it. I just can't believe that I did that. To put it in simpler terms, your emotions ramp up and your rational thinking tends to diminish. J.I. Packer said this, sins of exploiting people, manipulating systems, ducking responsibilities, withholding goodwill, and working out resentments regularly issue from the mind that is temporarily switched off. Have you ever found yourself where your mind has been kind of switched off? And you wake up and it's like, I can't believe I said that. I can tell you that I've, you know, said things to my kids at times in the past where it's like, you know, I, I, I just came out of my mouth and it was like, then you look at the look on their face and it's like, I just can't believe I just said that. I can't believe I just did that. Maybe you found yourself in those ways. So we were talking about Sally, who she had fear and the fear will manifest itself ultimately in control and anger and ultimately withdrawal. And that's us. But I want you to know this. I want you to know that emotions, I want you to have hope that you can change your emotions. See, the lie that people were telling you that is that your emotions control you and master you and you can't help it. That's a lie. The Bible is very clear that God has given us the ability and he's redeemed us from the curse of sin and he's redeemed us from the curse of sinful emotions. In Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26, it says this. And I will give you a new heart, a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove this heart of stone from your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. See, God says, I'm going to give you a new heart. I will give you a new ability. I will give you a new desire. I can give that to you. God gives that to every one of us at our conversion. But then we're called to exercise it, flex it. Increase that in our lives. In Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2, you know this passage very well. It says, I appeal to you, Paul is saying, I appeal to you, therefore, in light of God's mercies, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. 
And by testing and to discerning what the will of God is, the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. What Paul is saying is this, that you can be transformed in your mind, your mind can transform your life, and it can help you to master your emotions. So how do we redeem these emotions? We redeem these emotions by going humbly to God and saying, Lord, I admit it. I'm wrong. There has to be some level of humility. There has to be faith in God. And there has to be prayer. And we handle these emotions in light of God's word. We do not allow the emotions to become the dominant force. God's word becomes the dominant force and direction in our lives. And if my emotions are taking me down a wrong path that is going against God's word, I trust God's word more than I trust my emotions. And that when I humbly and faithfully pray to him and I look at God's word, then he will give me the grace, he says, to endure it. So point number one I wanted you to consider is this. That was longer. Point number one was the clarity. Point number two is that you could be capsized by out-of-control emotions. I won't spend much time on this because you know that you could be capsized by out-of-control emotions. They are powerful in our lives. We can go through this downward spiral of emotions. You get triggered. We hear these words trigger, right? You've heard it before. You triggered me. And I often say, well, you pushed my button, but it is my button. Why did my button, why were you able to influence me in that way? You influence me, but you do not direct me. We believe today that other people direct us. So when we get triggered, we find ourselves feeling defensive and we feel angry. We feel like an innocent victim. We are critical. We grab evidence that supports our belief and we push away any evidence that doesn't. We put the other person in a no-win situation and we experience this prolonged frustration in our lives. And as the emotions increase, we get confused, we get hardened, we find hopelessness in our lives and our relationships break down. Maybe you're experiencing that today. Men, stereotypically, tend to avoid those things. I don't want to get into that conversation. They move away. (laughs) Women, on the other hand, stereotypically, are the ones that we need to talk. We need to talk. So she wants to talk. He wants to avoid. And the problems just continue. And you know that. Now I know that there are some men that are the talkers and some women that are the avoiders. But the reality is... Either way doesn't solve the problem. So let's talk about how we can control and master those emotions. And I want to give you a simple acrostic, and then we'll go through some passages from, um, on controlling our emotions. Let's, I want to give you an acrostic that I use in my counseling, and it's called the READ acrostic. R-E-A-D. READ. Recognize your emotions... Evaluate the source, anticipate the consequences, and direct yourself in godly ways. We'll start with the recognize your emotions. You remember Sally? Sally didn't learn how to understand her emotions or to identify the emotions because they were constantly pushed down. They were, she wasn't learning how to put a word to the emotions that she had. Well, What we need to be able to do is to be able to label our emotions. I feel sad. 
I feel hurt. I feel discouraged. I feel angry. I feel frustrated. Name the emotion. I will tell you that more often than not, when you are able to actually give the emotion a name, you are starting to actually start to think again. You remember, as the emotions ramp up, rational thinking tends to diminish. If we flip it, as you start to think more, your emotions get under better control. Recognize the emotion. The second thing is to evaluate the source. Evaluate the source of those emotions. Those emotions are coming from within inside of me. It's my button. You may have triggered me, but it's my button. I've used this illustration before because I had a lot of stomach issues, but I would go to a gastroenterologist, and a gastroenterologist would do this. You know, if you've ever been to one, you lay down on the table, and what they do is they press on your stomach, right? And they say, do you feel this? Do you feel this? Do you feel this? Oh, and I felt it. I felt it. Wow, that hurt. So now the question is this. This is the way I would deal with that, right? I'm never going back to a gastroenterologist because they make me feel hurt and pain. That sounds funny, right? But isn't that what we do? You've triggered me, and so I'm going to withdraw from you. I'll withdraw from that church. I'll withdraw from that job. I'll withdraw from that marriage. I'll withdraw from all of that because they are making me hurt. Now, I'm not trying to say that you shouldn't protect yourself in certain situations where you're being hurt. That's not what I'm talking about. Damaged, abused, that type of thing, different. But just because you're feeling some level of pain... Maybe God's sovereignty, and in God's sovereignty, God has allowed you to feel that pain because he's saying, I want you to see that this is an area in your life that you need to deal with. And so as the gastroenterologist pushes on my stomach and he or she does it, it's showing an area that needs to be dealt with in my life. Maybe the triggers that are happening in your life are God's way, his loving faithfulness to point you to the fact that this is an area that you need to deal with. Evaluate the source, and that needs to happen within Anticipate the consequences. Most of us don't ever think about the consequences. James, if you actually thought about, if you said that to your kid, how are they going to feel? Is it going to really work? Is that honoring of God? If Christ were staying right here, would he be happy with you? All of those things, I need to anticipate the consequences. But when I'm ramping up with my emotions, I'm not thinking about that. I need you to think about those type of things. Recognize your emotions, evaluate the source, anticipate the consequences, and then as the sail per sailman does, as that boatsman takes that sail and feels the wind and points that boat in a direction that is going to take them to safety, I want you to think about that. How do you control your emotions? You control your emotions by guarding them in light of God's word. In Proverbs 1, 7, it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, and fools despise wisdom. When we are aware that God is here, when, when as Proverbs 9, 10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Now I'm gaining insight, and I'm gaining wisdom. He's instructing me, and I guard myself based on his character. In the midst of the conflict, in the midst of the emotion, I want you to remind yourself that God is still sovereign. Nothing is happening in your life outside of his sovereign hand. He is faithful. He is loving. He is wise. He is present. He is powerful. He is God. You are the same God. 
God is knee, near you every moment. Guard yourself with that. Guide yourself with his word. As you guide yourself with his word, his word now becomes the determining factor. Guard yourself from the deceptions and the lies that your feelings will do. And assure yourself of future hope and future glory. So, step number one is that you need to get some clarity about emotions. Emotions are not all bad, but they're not all good either. Second, we need to understand that emotions in and of themselves can capsize us. Third, we need to realize that emotions can control us and to dominate us. Fourth, I want us talking about some controlling some ungodly emotions. It says in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 7, the memory of the righteous is a blessing, but the name of the wicked will rot. And a little bit later on in that chapter, verse, chapter 10, verse 22, it says, The blessings of the Lord makes rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. There is a place where we have to come to a place in our lives where we are pretty aware of myself. I need to be aware of my struggles. I need to be aware that that's a painful place in my life. And as I am aware of it, I find myself dominating myself with God's way of trying to handle this. In Proverbs 12, 15, it says, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. If you ever want to be able to control your emotions, you are going to have to be a person who is wise and is hearing truth and willing to humble yourself in front of God. If you are ever going to be a person that is going to be wise in your emotions, you need to be a person who doesn't reprove the scoffer. The person that comes against you, reprove a wise man and he will love you. This person that hears this, the person in your life, do you have somebody in your life that will tell you the truth? I often say that you need to have two people in your life. One person who's the Jonathan, like in David's life, encouraging, uplifting, supporting, loving and gracious. And then you need a Nathan. You remember Nathan, Nathan came to him and said, you are the man. You need two people in your life that are going to encourage you, but also reprove you. And the, and the writer in the Proverbs says, you are wise when you get that type of person in your life. Proverbs 10.8 says, the wise of heart will receive a commandment, but a babbling fool will come to ruin. Hmm. Proverbs 11.12 says, Whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. There is something about engaging myself. I need to be aware of myself, and I need to engage myself, and I need to understand that I am the only one that's going to be able to control me, no one else. You know, it's not only the fact that I need to engage myself and engage, um, understand myself. I need to engage other people. I need to be willing to engage them. And as I, I become aware of other people, it says in Proverbs fourteen twenty, the poor is disliked even by his neighbor, but the rich has many friends. Verse 21, whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner. But blessed is he who is generous to the poor. Verse 31, 
Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. Over and over again, it's this idea of being able to be aware that my brother or my sister or my friend, maybe they're not a believer, this neighbor is in need. You're a child of the king. You've got every resource available to you, and they are not believers. And as you are aware of that, and you're aware of your position, and aware of their need, you put those things aside to pursue them in love and grace and compassion. It says this in Proverbs 3, 34. Towards the scorner, he is scornful, but the humble gives favor. A great verse in Proverbs 17, verse 7. A friend loves at all times. A brother is born for adversity. So it's not only that I'm aware of what other people are going through. It's not only that I'm engaging other people. I need to go and love them. And I need to encourage them. And I need to serve them. And I need to resolve differences with other people. In Proverbs 13, 20, it says, Whoever walks with the wise will become wise. But a companion of fools will suffer harm. In Proverbs 19, 1, it says this, Better is a poor person who walks in integrity than one who is crooked in speech and a fool. Last one I want you to think about. Whoever troubles his own household will inherit the wind. Proverbs eleven twenty nine through 30. Whoever troubles his own household will inherit the wind. The fool will be a servant to the wise of heart. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. And whoever captures the soul is wise. All right, there's a lot of passages that I can go to that will talk about tons more that talk about mastering those emotions. I want to end with this. I want you to consider conquering ungodly emotions in your life. How about instead of sinful anger, you become a person of patience and kindness. In Proverbs 14.30, it says, A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bone rot. So instead of sinful anger, be a person of patience and kindness. How about instead of pride, we are humble and honest. Proverbs 18.12, before destruction, a man's heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. So instead of the sinful anger in my life, patience and understanding, instead of the pride of my life, humility and honesty, instead of unforgiveness and bitterness, be forgiving of other people. Forgiveness is not just a feeling. Forgiveness is a choice that you make, that God has forgiven you everything. There is nothing that another person could ever do against you that is greater than the sin that you've committed against God. And he's forgiven you everything in the gospel. How about instead of guilt and condemnation, freedom? How about instead of depression, hope and joy? How about instead of fear and anxiety and worry, love and trust? So you have to reject one and replace it with the other and you choose what is going to dominate your life. See, the problem with Sally was that Sally was dominated by sinful anger, not patience, 
and kindness. Sally was dominated with pride, not humility and honesty. Sally was dominated with unforgiveness and bitterness, not forgiveness and grace. Sally was dominated with guilt and condemnation and she had no freedom. Sally was dominated with depression in her life and she had no hope and joy. And Sally was dominated with fears and anxieties and worries. And she wasn't a lover and she struggled with trust. So I end with this, how do we cultivate godly emotions? Well, there's a lot of Proverbs that will tell us, but I will give you one. Proverbs 28, 13. Whoever conceals his transgression will not prosper, but he who confesses it and forsakes it finds mercy. If you're ever going to be able to cultivate godly emotions in your life, and if you're ever going to get rid of uh, ungodly emotions, you have to have an honest self-evaluation. You need to be honest with yourself. We are so critical of other people. We got the one finger out and I've often said this, but there are three fingers ramming back at you, James. And Sally, there are three fingers ramming back at you. What is God saying to you? Yes, they may have sinned against you, but what is God saying to you? You need to do an honest self-evaluation. And there needs to be confession and repentance. That's what this proverb says, Proverbs 28, 13. If you conceal your own transgression, you make yourself sound like you are innocent and everybody else is guilty, you will not prosper. But if you confess it and forsake it, God will give you mercy. Honest self-evaluation, confession and repentance. And that needs to be a confession vertically to God and then horizontally to others. You need a Jonathan and a Nathan in your life that you are confessing who are going to listen lovingly to you and that will speak truthfully to you about your emotions. Do you have that person in your life? And then you need to learn the biblical process of managing emotions. It's there. God has given us a roadmap right here through the book of Proverbs and the other 65 books of this Bible about how we can master our emotions. The problem is, is that we believe the lie that our emotions are truth. And they're not always. I'll give you a couple of last things before we close. Coming to a worship service is a great way to manage your emotions. I can tell you, I could walk into a service at times and I could be down and then Carmelo and his group is there and I'm just like lifted up. It's like, you know, got my hands up there praising God. Thank you, Lord. There's something about worship. There's something about sitting yourself under preaching. I probably listen to three or four sermons every day, easily. On my walks, I put on a sermon on my phone and I will listen to God's word preached. Some of my brothers be preaching, other churches preaching. I find God's word preached to my heart and to my mind has such a powerful impact. You need that. You need faith building relationships. You need people that are going to encourage you. And maybe you have a lot of people in your life that discourage you. Uh, if they're not bringing you to God's word and telling you that you're off track, if they're just downers, goodbye. <laughs> I need somebody that's going to build up my faith and encourage me. Encourage me to look at the sins of my life and reflect God more. You need that. You need the word in prayer. You cannot get by with a five-second line of a devotional and a quick prayer and that's it. 
I'm going to tithe my day. 24 hours out of a day, I'm going to give God at least a couple of hours a day. You need to read. You need to meditate. The place where you need to meditate most to ever master your emotions is the cross. Jesus had a lot of emotions. <laughs> he didn't want to go to that cross on one level. He did not want to have to endure the wrath of his father. But he says, not my will, but yours be done. The people that spit on him, the people that mocked him, the people that pulled out his beard, the people that rammed railroad spikes into his hands, father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. Mom, here's your son. Son, here's your mom. The guy who's cursing him, later on he says, Verily, verily, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. And he says, Jesus, he says, Father, I have finished my course. I'm done. It is finished. So when we elevate God and see him as big and your emotions as under his hands, you can reflect him. But when you elevate your emotions, they become idols and they will master you. So let God master you so that you can master your emotions and then you can reflect him in glory. Father, this honest self-evaluation is not easy, very honestly. <laughs> because there are a lot of people who've hurt me. A lot of things that people have said, a lot of things that people have done that are just wrong. And Father, please forgive me for ever being a person that elevates those things above what I've done against you. As Jesus said in Matthew 18, this man who owed a billion dollars to the king, he was forgiven everything. And this other person that owed him maybe some thousands, it was, a, it was money, but it wasn't anything comparable. He couldn't forgive. So Father, I pray that you would help us to be not like Sally, who struggled with fear and struggled with anxiety and struggled with anger and struggled with control and struggled with unforgiveness and struggled with guilt. I pray that you would help us to be the renewed Sally, the Sally who has hope and healing and peace and joy and forgiveness and grace and is reflecting a light in her family, a light that they had never seen before because you have changed Sally. So change us, Father, so that we can reflect you in Jesus' name. Amen. I count on one thing The same God that never fails Will not fail me now You won't fail me in the waiting the same god who's never late is working all things out you're working all things out yes i will lift you high 
in the lowest valley, yes, I will bless your name, yes, I will sing for joy when my heart is heavy all my days, oh, yes, I will. Thing. I count on one thing, the same God that never fails will not fail me now, you won't fail me now in the waiting, the same God who's never late is working all things out, working all things out. you high in the lowest valley. Yes, I will bless your name. Yes, I will sing for joy when my heart is heavy all my days. Oh, yes, I will for all my days. Oh, yes, I will. And I choose to morning into this week when we're in the lowest valley lord may we look to you seek you for all my days may we praise you lord look to you and worship you and honor you god give time to you lord look to the scriptures especially when we're feeling like things are off kilter things are not aligned lord may we spend more time with you and in your word meditating on what it says 
spending time with our Christian brothers and sisters, Lord, to, to be encouraged, to be uplifted. God, apart from you, we have pretty much nothing. There's no hope. God, going into this week, many of us need hope. So in those moments when we're trying to like power through, you know, head down, make sure I just work hard and do the right thing and all that stuff, God, maybe stop and pause and look to you specifically, Lord, and say, I need help. May we raise our Ebenezer and say, God, you help. You've done that in the past. You can do it now. So, Lord, as we leave this place, God, may we look to you in this week and glorify you in all things. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a nice week.